Welcome back, everyone, to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info, but if you're watching this on YouTube, you may have noticed a somewhat familiar face at this stage. We have another uh, opportunity to speak with Drew from the Wizards of the Coast team. Drew, it, I'm really happy to have you back on the show. Hey, it's always good to be back on the show. Happy New Year, everybody. Yep. You too. Uh, speaking of the new year, so I uh, get the the obvious stuff out of the way. Everything, I'm not sure exactly how it works in the Wizards of the Coast office. Do you guys have a long break at the end of the year, just out of curiosity's sake? We do. We The office is mostly closed uh, between Christmas and New Year's with a couple of days on either end. Cool. Um, yep, I went home. It was great. I refilled my New York manometer with pizza and bagels. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm ready for another six months of bad pizza. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as I have traveled to other parts of the country and my wife has traveled to a lot of other parts of the country, there are definitely very many positive things about other parts, but the pizza is lacking, we'll say. There are, so, there are select areas. I know we're talking Transformers, but the 30-second tangent is mm-hmm. I, I respect the pizza of many other cities, Chicago, St. Louis. <laughs> Indianapolis, they all have variations of pizza that's really good. And I think that's great. And I love good pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of places try and, and do New York style slices, uh, mm. including Seattle, and do it poorly. And I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a very delicate and political response. I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not getting in, 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 into any deep dish or thin crust pizzas. My, my official Drew Nolasco personal opinion is they're both awesome. Fair. I can get behind that because at the end of the day, I love me some pizza. It, yep. I'll, I'll take it when yep. I can get it. <laughs> so I guess the other obvious thing, which people out there may have thought I was going to jump into is, oh, by the way, there was this this event, this, you know, it was kind of a, a thing that happened towards the end of 2019 at PAX Unplugged. Great. It was awesome. And it was so good to see everyone. I was. It was really nice to see everyone in person. Um, there were a lot of, of uh, folks who I talked to individually, and it was awesome to see them in person, talk together. Um, I thought, it, I thought it communi- the community uh, uh, building that I saw there at the Energon Invitational was amazing. It ended up being... I mean, I went in expecting that it was going to be awesome, and it still managed to surpass what I expected, especially along the lines of what you're describing, Drew, that everybody there, the players... Speaking with the wizard staff, speaking with everybody else, it was a lot of fun. It was great putting names to faces or faces to names, I guess, in a lot of instances. And it it was just a cool and very much enjoyable celebration of the Transformers TCG. Yeah, it, it, it uh, from from my perspective, the celebration aspect was spot on. Um, uh, I did a, a couple of a, you know a few interviews there, and, and yep. I did a lot of, I did even more one-on-ones with people that were not recorded and were not media. Right. And were more just like, hey, let's do a check-in. Um, how are you feeling? How are things going? What can we do better? What we, what we, what, what's good that we should continue doing? And I got a lot of di- divergent answers, but <laughs> focused around consistent themes. So from a research point of view and in, mm-hmm. in continuing the health of the game, from a wizard's point of view, Matt, Matt Smith and Matt Tabak uh, did the same. Um, it was it was great for us. Right. And it was definitely great to, and we've had the opportunity, obviously, to speak on this show, but also 
offline at a few of these events now, and it's always great. And I, I am a broken record. I know I beat dead horses or whatever cliche that people want to pull out, but it is awesome to have that interaction that the player base has the opportunity to speak with you and other members of your team in this capacity. So just like we started out, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being available in these instances. You got it. I mean, it's, it is, it is both uh, enjoyable and beneficial to the business and beneficial to the community. So it's just a win-win all around. Absolutely. So let's keep it rolling on the Energon Invitational. So after those conversations with players, after observing everything from the event, probably burning your voice out, trying to, to yell over the crowd, looking back on it, what are the, the big takeaways that you can tell us are, are definitely going into how 2020 is going to shape up? So um, <laughs> I think that the top level uh, is we, I thought the metagame was... Uh, diverse enough i think i thought that there were a lot of people trying a lot of different things and when you saw it when you when you look at sort of the top 16 and then the top eight decks while there were some um there were a few things that you could predict uh there was um meaningful variation yes and i think that tweaks to any of the top eight decks um based on lessons learned could have uh changed the performance one way or the other, which means that that it's inside of archetypes, there's a little bit of room for um, variety. So not all Insecticon decks would look alike. And Jimmy's, for example, looked very different than a lot of other commonly played Insecticon decks. <laughs> Absolutely. As an example. Yep. And I think that's super healthy. Because it's it's not just are there six or eight different deck lists, is it's can I play a deck archetype and and you know, if, if you're a, a top, top level player, you're probably going to converge on a best deck. Mm -hmm. But there are still enough diversity in the decks that people at variety of um, levels of play can feel like, hey, I'm playing an Insecticon deck, but I, I made it mine, or I'm playing this version of it. And that's good. It's Absolutely. not you know, monolithic. So I th all of R&D looked at it and was very happy. Um, there awesome. were a couple of things that we're keeping an our eye on. Our eye on. Uh, uh, the Daring Escape Springer deck, we are definitely keeping an eye on. Um, it, <coughs> I feel like it, it placed where it did more through a little bit of bad luck than anything else. Um, but I also note that um, there weren't a lot of people really prepared for that type of deck. Absolutely. Daring Escape's really contentious. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of people who are for it. There are a lot, a lot of people who are against it. And then, um, you know, I think that we've made appropriate bans against it. And I think the real question about the Springer version of the deck, and I'm looking forward to the two uh, upcoming events in Las Vegas, in, sorry, in uh, San Antonio and Orlando later in January. Yep. Or by the time that we air, we'll <laughs> have the, we'll have answers. Right. For yeah. That. But I'm looking forward to those two events. Um, <laughs> Uh, to see what what the Daring Spring Springer deck looks like, and are people playing the appropriate counters because they exist? You, yes, if, if for you, sure. If you prep for that deck, you can you can you know you reduce it. You know you, you can you can fight a good fight against it. So we'll see. Um, so uh, overall, I thought the metagame was super super good. Uh, what do you guys think on that aspect? 
Well, let me pitch that to you, Scott, first before I jump in. The metagame or the daring escape thing? I'll take the metagame first. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. I could always talk about the daring escape <laughs> thing. So, um, I, I, think, I think the metagame was very helpful. I mean, healthy. Um, we did expect a more control slant, which I did. I think did exist uh, throughout the day. I think there was clearly um, like what I like to call like a winner's metagame versus like an overall metagame to the to the overall event. So I thought that the the players vying for top sixteen and top thirty two. Um, there was a, a slight edge to a to a, a varied control metagame where I think the decks came down to three or four different archetypes, even within that control archetype. And I think that's really healthy. I think you don't see 40-card lists that are the same and that you have cards, even if the cards in the deck are the same, they don't operate the same way using the characters and the battle cards together. So I think that's really healthy. Um, I was worried about um, that there would be less aggro, but to be honest with you, that did, didn't bear out um, overall throughout the day, so I was happy about that as well. Um, and I think the meta going forward being influenced by that has shown that the aggro decks still remain just as viable as the control ones. So a couple of, a couple of responses there. Um, I agree with you completely on the sort of sub-variation inside the control meta. And I note that that's something that we expect. Uh, and also we expect that in an event that has... Because the, sk the skill level, and this is not a dig or mm -hmm. you know, yeah. anyone, it's a recognition of, of the reality of a young game. But there are many people who qualified from um, high, high competition environments, and there are people who, comp who qualified from low competition environments. And so... Highly, people who have a lot of games under their belt um, and a lot of um, uh, skill and experience are going to benefit by playing a control deck in that environment because the control deck can cap and it can capitalize on an aggro deck player's mistakes more easily than a, I think an, a, an aggro deck can capitalize on a control deck player's mistakes. And um, so we also expected there to be more. Um, more control decks than aggro decks, particularly as the tournament sort of thinned out into the, the top 32, 16, and 8. Uh, and then I, I think a great example of what you're saying as the, the deck lists, even inside the archetypes being different, and going back to one of my original statements, was that there were a lot of different Shockwave deck types played. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. With a whole bunch of different partners. Right. Um, and that was just great for us from our point of view. We, we're very happy when people look at, at, at tools that we provide and come up with different solutions um, that they are confident enough to bring to an event like the Energizational. Makes sense. Yeah, it. I would have to echo both of what each of you are saying and without, again, falling into the broken record track. There's there was definitely this... I'm thinking of a delicate way to, I guess, the skill strata... Uh, as mm -hmm. people acclimate themselves to <clears throat> both this size and this level of event, even beyond simply what deck and what cards, it's also playing in an event that way uh, or in an event that size and getting used to that environment. Um, <clears throat> overall, I, I mean, I said it earlier, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was cool seeing these different things, seeing how people had tackled a lot of the challenges, <clears throat> excuse me, the 
the threats that we saw coming in and it i mean scott made some accurate predictions coming in <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll give him the credit on there that i i definitely uh clamped onto the coattails so to speak <laughs> and in terms of um i i think to echo part of what Vince said i think what's impressed me is some of the players that maybe didn't come from a tcg background but are on record like giving their reports and things like that i'm impressed that they walked away being like wow this was a lot more intense and a lot more difficult of a of a game than maybe even what my local scene has let on i think that's probably where you want the the equivalent of the world championship to be i would assume yep absolutely um that that's very much true and <clears throat> transformers is a little bit unique in that it has uh, i think a higher percentage of folks who have zero previous tcg background and yes. in through their love of transformers so we always have to keep that in mind um uh when we are engaging in with our cost with the the players in in meaning any meaningful way through product or really anything um and one of the places where that starts to get challenging is at high-level competitive play. And there, are, there, there was wildly divergent um, uh, comments related to the experience of playing in the fence. And, yes. and so there are some things that obviously um, are things that we can improve on. Uh, for example, uh, the sound quality uh, of announcements uh, is, is one thing that was a clear... Oh, there's a way for us to do this better. And we've talked with Pastimes Games, and you know, we do a retrospective on this. Um, and there are some things that are challenging to players who have little competitive experience, but are really important enough that we can't make concessions like round length. Sure. Mm. Um, right. There were, I, I heard from a number of players like, oh, I wish I had, like, I wish this was, was like an, you know, an unlimited, untimed round <laughs> or, or, oh, or, boy. or whatever. <laughs> right. And the people who have played in a lot of competitive events realize that overall it's healthier for the game and everybody there. Mm -hmm. um, one one thing that I, in that regard though, is I think we had one round too many. Oh, okay. I think we could have done that with one fewer rounds mm. and still had the same, uh, I guess, uh, quality of skill floating to the top. Interesting. I much, okay. I don't think much. I don't think much changed from round eight to round nine. Now that I think about it, to be honest with you. Yep. But, yeah. We yeah. could. We could have done it with that in a few rounds. Also, um, uh, it might have been better breaking up the whole thing over two days because we had qualifying events the previous day. It might have been better to play like the limited rounds on one day, and then go move into the competitive, the, the constructed rounds to give everybody a little bit of a, a, a little more of a break. Makes Having sense. said that, right? Like it, it's tor tournament logistics are going to be different each time. Of course. Having said that, um, uh, I do think that it was a little bit taxing on folks, um, and I would like to uh, alleviate some of that as we go look to the future without significantly reducing the, or even really at all reducing the level of skill proving itself out. If that makes sense. I follow either, <clears throat> and um, I think that's a, a noble goal. <laughs> yeah, like people go to have fun, and, mm. and and at these, and we want to respect that. People go to win, and we want to respect that. But people need to take bathroom breaks. 
Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that seems reasonable. I mean... <laughs> um, I want to talk about limited. Um, I was actually going to ask you that, so that that's a great segue. Have at it. <laughs> great. So I thought. So from our perspective, we thought limited played pretty okay. Um, it's important for us, and I think I've mentioned this before. It's important for us that our that our that limited has a place. Um, it's a it's fun, um, and that the real question is is limited fun? It is limited skill testing. But that's really what it comes down to. Um, and I, I, we thought that, in general, it worked pretty well. Um, I do know, and here's my take on the players. I think more players had worse expectations going into it than they actually, than the actual experience once it was said and done. But still, it was a, a, there was a more leaning negative to moderately negative uh, feedback coming from Limited. I will note that I, I saw a lot of players take mediocre pools and pilot, pilot them to success. Yes, that's and, for sure. Yep, there were, the, like, I, was, I looked through the pools of the top eight, and there were some pretty uninspiring pools <laughs> that were correctly built mm. and well-played and ran into... I, you know, ran into decent enough matchups that it was not a foregone conclusion that they would win. Like there, you know, there was a better pool on the other side that, and the, the skilled player outplayed it and outbuilt. So I, I look at that and I'm like, great. But I also see that there were some very skilled players who opened bad pools and got, you know, Played to the best of their their skill and also built as best as possible and got and hit up with someone with a better pool in a matchup and lost. Um, and that never feels great. And to some degree, there, that there is a rea- that is the reality of playing trading card games and the answer limited tra- in trading card games. And I think the question really comes down to: Is that appropriate for the World Championship? Um, and so. We are evaluating, and I don't have any. Fortunately, we have some time. We are evaluating what that what that will look like for next year's Invitational. Um, but I can say one of the things that we are looking at is: should there be a larger st- open style event that's all limited, so that oh, those people? I was going to ask that. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. What do you think? I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I played Steel Deck. Grand Prix my whole life, so um, right. I mean, obviously not anymore. But um, it, I think that there is, I think the hesitation is not from our end. Obviously, um, I think the hesitation would be from the the players that would want that would travel to an event that would normally travel to an event. Mm-hmm. I think I think as a, I think you have a couple options. I think either as its own singular event, like tied to not tied to one of the the two major uh, open conventions i think it would be fine um and in, and in terms of if if it was i would place it as like the i didn't qualify for the finals but i'm having this other pretty large event happening the next day type of thing mm-hmm. as well like the, right, the so, day two type thing so i don't think that we we're not talking about replacing a major right. structured event with limited 
if, <laughs> if anything, it would be either in addition or, as you note, a parallel event or sequential event. So if you're like, you know, you go 03 in the constructed event, you can drop and, and play in the, 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 bigger, the big limited tournament. Um, so something along those lines. Um, and the one thing that I, I think that we're pretty agreed upon is, as with as from your experience in Magic Grand Prix, if you're running a big limited tournament, you get multiple pools to build with over the course of the event. Yes. So yes. it's not you're stuck with your same sealed deck for you know six to nine rounds. It's probably something you know it might be it's a six round event, and you get two pools to build with three you know three rounds each, something like that, so that there is some moderating um, influence on outlier pools like your chances of opening you know an average amount of, of good cards evens out over the course of the event are you able to talk at all about were you guys able to see any impact of the pools you saw the players you saw and how that might impact say building the sets from a rarity perspective or from a just how to build a better sealed uh set or was that like is I assume that was part of the proving ground for that as well. I didn't know if there was any takeaways or, or, or you looking at it and things like that. So, yes, we are, and we did, although it doesn't affect Wave 5. But sure. we watched a bunch of sealed events over the course of the, the time period when we were building Wave 5 that did help influence. Um, uh, and so there are, there are some changes, one of which will be very apparent when we announce uh, Wave 5 to how cards are distributed inside the booster set. Okay. Um, that I think right. will help even out power a little bit more in a limited environment. Um, uh, and then <laughs> Wave 5 also has one thing that does the opposite of that, but it's a very cool constructed play, so <laughs> it kind of evens out, but that's talking about the future. Um, <laughs> sure. I was just curious, just in general, is the process not necessarily the set, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. The pro the process definitely does look at that. And we play we play limited in, in the house as well for testing. Mm. Opening up, you know, a real sealed product in mass to test. Um so yes, that does that does come into account. Uh, there were there was it was very very interesting in a couple of cards that people were really concerned about. Really concerned about like the type the type of um Hyperbole, like if you open <laughs> if you open Megatron, you're going three zero. That we saw a lot of mm. didn't pan out. I, yes. I don't think there was there was not a Megatron in the top eight tables of limited play. Um, I don't think I saw an Octane either. Yeah, uh, same. Uh, so, so so some of the cards that people said oh, you you just can't lose. You obviously can, even in Transformers, where you there's the character starts in play, so. The variance is reduced to zero from the character point of view. Right. Like, even there, I saw them opened up, I saw them played, and that that was really important to us to see that in an event with the highest skill players. So, absolutely. Um, I don't think that we need radical changes after the Energon Invitational. I think there's we're on the line of tweaking. Yeah. Fair. Uh, one thing I will say about limited play that I also saw at the Energon Invitational, not something that was part of the main event. Um, also confirmed a suspicion of ours is that draft is not a great tournament format by any means, even with highly skilled players. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy mm. drafting Transformers, but I would not recommend it as part of a limited format, even for like the top eight. Interesting. Um, okay. Um, 
So we're going to re-examine the draft rules uh, to see if we can uh, make any improvements there. It's lower on the priority list than either constructed or standard. But drafting does take, I think, an unacceptably long amount of time for, for Transformers, provided that we, we continue to prioritize make that the, all the double-sided cards are face up in the center of the table and there's no weird things where like you get to draft a character and then you have to you know you're looking around the table it's like Ooh, what's the back of that guy that, right that shockwave yeah. over there i'm not sure and people are hiding their cards and i think that's a crappy play experience so we continue to prioritize that the the the, the known information of double-sided cards and that does slow down and complicate the draft so congrats to all those players who those 16 players who ran two draft pods uh <laughs> Um, and the four hours that it took them to do so. And, uh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not something that we're prioritizing for, for mainline competitive play. Fair. That seems entirely appropriate based on what you just said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if either of you guys have Rochester, that's basically how you do the cast. Yes. Yes. And it takes forever. And mm-hmm. it's a very, very skill intensive format. Absolutely. Yeah, without without someone to call the draft like professionally, it's very difficult. Yes, exactly. I mean, I've done lots of, of Rochester drafts from my magic backgrounds, and you know, even in even in private groups at the game store, a ninth person we get a ninth person to call the draft, and that's 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 daunting. Um, yeah, at absolutely. The local play experience, you know, store experience, and it's it's not really good for competitive play. So enough of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so other thoughts for so we've talked a, a bit about the constructed rounds and uh, about the sealed rounds or were there any other thoughts you had around surrounding sealed and its interaction with EI Drew? Um, I'm happy that we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed to do it. Um, I would agree. Yeah, and I I am leaning towards continuing doing it with the modifications that we talked about. So if I, if you had to make me predict now, and I guess I will do this myself, I would predict <laughs> that Sealed will reappear in the next Invitational uh, with some tweaks in order, to, um, in order to even out some of the rough edges in terms of variance. Um, I'm not going to put my line in the sand, but the things that we've been talking about uh, is it, it, paradoxical. The more rounds you play of Sealed, the mm. more skill testing it is, right? Right, Because variance evens out. Of course. But there's another way to do that, which is more packs even. Right. If you have a larger pool to build with, um, uh, variance is minimized. So we're, we're looking at options, but I would say, I would predict that it, that it reappears. Well, I mean, as you said, there was... The reaction, while there was some negativity, I think a lot of people had their eyes opened, especially in comparison to where they felt coming into EI. So I think the announcement that we we can look forward to more of it will be more welcome than not. I hope so. Um, the one unknown factor is I don't know how many people decided to not attend the EI because they knew limited would be a thing. I, I think that the answer was greater than zero, but I don't think right. nearly, as, nearly as large as the number of people who said, oh, I'm just not showing up. But I, I, 
those people who were, you know, had the most negative reaction, i.e. didn't show up, don't have the firsthand experience of Seals at a big event to say, oh, it's not as bad as I, I thought it was. So right. um, I, would, I would encourage anyone who's he, who listens, who's, who is significantly against sealed play to um, give it a shot when you're at something like an open, um, if you have not done before, where there are a bunch of other skilled people playing in the event. And see what see what it looks like, and I think you'll be surprised. Yeah, I can pleasantly. Right, yeah, I think that's definitely a, a fantastic suggestion. If you didn't have that opportunity, and like you said, maybe if you you leaned a little too much into the the negative surrounding it. Um, but moving on from there, and let, and I don't want to rush you. If there was anything else you wanted to bring up about EI specifically, nope. okay, nope. Uh, doing the the quick retrospective of. 2019 the season organized play year one as a whole with whether it's including ei or not were there any other major lessons that you feel definitely get carried forward is it i know when we talked on site at pax that we're looking at sort of the same structure as what we saw in 2019 carrying forward into 2020 uh any other additional thoughts on that end yeah, I think there's there's one important change that we're going to make at the store level. I'm, I'm very happy with in-store play kits supporting um, in-store play, and clearly the, the business sees benefits from from in-store play. Of course, um, and the business sees we saw this, we saw benefits from um, uh, qualifier season. So those things were healthy and were and, and we liked them. Uh, but what one thing that I think that we have seen enough people asking for. It, and it, and we've made the change for Wave 5, is the in-store play kits will go to mechanically unique cards, um, but without changing the number of cards in the kit. So the release day kit uh, has oh, has been a mechanically unique um, Smashdown, for example. Yeah. Um, so there'll still be 25 of those per store um, for participation prizes. Mm-hmm. And then the, previously we'd be, we'd been doing golden... Um, versions of characters, but for Wave Five, we're going to move to uh, me- mechanically unique characters. And for the first one, for Wave Five, it's going to be a combiner. So if you come back really? and play each week, you get part of the combiner. Um, and then at the end of three weeks of play, it's a three-part combiner. At the end of the end of three weeks of play, you'll have assembled the full team and can play them. Interesting. Yep. You, uh, I mean, not that I wasn't interested before. I mean, the reality is, is I'm me personally. I'm going to these events regardless. But I mean, that sounds pretty enticing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yep, and I, I, I await the, the pleasant speculation because there aren't a ton of three part combiners. And even if you take into account the fact that we hmm. we include things like Omega Supreme and right. you know did, did him as a three part combiner even though he's technically not a combiner we use that mechanic right right there're still not that many characters who could who could be three part combiners so i i await eagerly await the speculation <laughs> that's uh yeah that's got some gears turning i'm uh, as you as those words left your mouth and hit my ears i was uh already starting to to think of some stuff but i'm going to have to do some more research <laughs> uh, i will also say that w- at least one of those is an um and uh, previously not well supported vehicle. Interesting. <laughs> You're saying one that exists but has not been supported? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, 
Does it, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Get to the speculation, gentlemen. All right. Um, I, I'm. Hmm. I got to think about this one. But while I'm thinking about it, uh, Scott, any specific questions on the past year that you wanted to pose to Drew before we maybe move into more 2020 targeted things? Or, Drew, if you had anything you wanted to bring up? My only quarrel. Oh, sorry. My only corollary <laughs> to. Uh, to the 2019, I guess, rolling into 2020 is just that I guess organized play was announced in May of uh, 2019, which was fortunate that the convention season was around the corner. Now we have a lull, and I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm not familiar with this from a from an internal perspective. I, I was just wondering what your what your thoughts are if if things continue. I mean, obviously, I know. Again, as of the time you hear this recording, there were two major events. Over the last two weeks, but um, yeah, Scott, what are you talking know. about? Plenty of events. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't know, um, like the 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 lull until like the opens, assuming they're on the they're on the same pattern, or you know how you feel about what the opportunity for third party uh, supported events, or how you guys are supporting that, or anything like that that you could you could talk about. Well, I mean, you know, going back to the two events that are coming up, there's going to be play at. PAX, um, and our partners' pastimes will be running it at PAX South. And then there's play at uh, Orlando at the the PPT Orlando uh, champs um, and the pro play folks. Um, you know, we've been working with them on that. So it, it, we, we are we are um, very happy to work with um, non wizards event folks to to run events. You know, even when we are personally not present. I think that the there are a lot of benefits to the summer convention season, yep. um, and a lot of sync up between how the Transformers Global property does its IP rollouts and summer convention season, and what that means for TCG product. Gotcha. That for 2020, we're likely to do something very similar. So you'll see you'll see things you'll, you'll see third parties um, where applicable running transformers um, competitive events uh, throughout the year and then um, you'll see uh, the the bigger wizard supported stuff like opens happen during summer convention season sounds that's good that's the that's the plan okay good cool um, now Drew you mentioned something offline uh, that you wanted to discuss regarding the 2019 I guess 2019 as a whole. Did you want to bring that up now? Yeah. Or, sure. Yeah. So you know, uh, I always want to get the 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 retrospective look at a set a few months after it's come out. And Siege Two came out in early November. We're we're two months after Siege Two has been has been out. We had a big event. What would you say are your top two or three hits and misses? And it doesn't have to be just from a card point of view, but but you know a- anything. Um, each of you about Siege 2. Vince, you want to start? Sure. Uh, Well, in general, and I think Scott's going to say something similar to this, so I'll I'll try and come up with other points quickly, but I really appreciated the... I mean, from a player perspective, it's always fun when it's a powerful set, and Siege 2 definitely felt like it was a step up from C not that siege one was bad. That's not what I'm saying, but just that siege two felt powerful cards felt impactful. And it was just cool to have that, especially on the bluer end of things. Um, 
Siege 1 definitely, and I enjoyed some success with Siege 1 on the aggressive end of things, but it was fun to see the, the pendulum swing the other way. Uh, to be honest, probably one of the things that stuck with me the most was actually, and I'm still messing around with it, was the, the mercenary mechanic as a whole. Outside the game, I thought it was really cool that it debuted here. And I've mentioned it many times on the show that it, in the grand scheme of things, it very much felt like a vote of confidence. It, it was awesome to be part of the first for something yep. like that. And from a mechanical perspective, I'm still constantly toying with other ways to, like, I'm still always working on various mercenary ideas and some of them aren't quite working. So they're looking for help from <laughs> wave five, but, uh, I thought those were were really cool. I thought it put a spotlight on, like, Octone, for example, is a character that traditionally isn't getting a whole lot of press. So I thought that was cool um, from a yeah. Transformers lore nerd perspective. Uh, Trying to think of other things off the top of my head and not step on toes. Do you want to jump in, Scott, before I steal all the points? <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, to me, Siege 2 is... I'm on record as saying it's the second most powerful set only because just how wave one has to be, I guess the most powerful set in order to keep the game <laughs> right. going. But um, I think, I think siege two really pushed themes across the board. So you have more powerful secret actions. You have more powerful centralized characters with gigantic star costs that are truly are centerpieces to decks. And I think every single one of them has made a splash. Um, I think you, the the hit points on the character has been pushed so that these characters actually remain on the field longer. Mm-hmm. So you have a you have a larger investment in them. But can um, I jump in? I think that was one yeah. of the biggest design successes of Siege Two. Yeah, uh, we want there to be teams that that can play a very tall character and sustain that character. And I think that we we hit it pretty well with Siege Two in terms of survivability of those large characters. And so. That's going to become more persistent in our design. Can I ask you a question about that, Drew? Please. So when I saw these characters being revealed and then as we tested with them and as we saw them play out at EI, was there some variant of this conversation that went on at the offices where it's somebody wants to play an Optimus Prime deck and then as both you and Scott were saying, what we uh, dubbed Galaxy Prime because of the star cost, because of the giant mountain of stats, it's very much all in on that character, similar to Jetfire or Shockwave before that. I mean, we saw back in Wave 1 Optimus Prime Battlefield Legend decks, but it at least to me, it feels that these new iterations with that I, centralized character feel a little bit different where it, they are the deck. Yeah. I mean, that... I assume at some point there was a conversation that says, yeah, we want people to be able to say, yeah, I'm playing a Jetfire deck. And it's, yeah, it is Jetfire is the guy. Yep. Yep. That was, this is very intentional design. And um, there was some intense uh, uh, playtesting of the, the the larger signature characters, uh, mm-hmm. specifically related to survivability as, you know, as well as win type, uh, win rate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't enough for us to say, oh, this deck is winning, but you know, it went, the, the, the big character does some stuff and is reliably dead. 
and then right. the deck wins through other ways. Um, right. And to, to that point, several of the big characters, including Galaxy Prime and Jetfire, at the, towards the end of the development process, got a bump in both hit points and stars mm. in order to make that goal come be true. And I thought it worked pretty well. Um, and I think that we have, unlike previous sets, where some of the, the, the big point car- cost characters were underwhelming, mm. I think we finally hit upon a happier ground uh, between point cost, um, survivability, and impact on the game. Yeah, I can definitely get behind that. It, and it does, again, from a <laughs> lack of a better way to put a Transformer lore nerd perspective, it's there is fun in, oh, well, I have a collection of three or four of my favorite characters. Not necessarily I'm playing Insecticons and it's four wide, but I'm thinking the old three wide Prime builds. Where it's like, okay, yep. I like Prime and I like these other two guys. And it's fine as a deck. It's a totally different category to me from an outside competitive perspective perspective to say no i'm playing an optimus prime deck and he is clearly the centerpiece it is obvious and he that the entire build and gameplay lives and dies with him from me getting invested in it um i that it's important that that is an option available to players for mm -hmm. we want two two tall three tall and four tall decks to all be legitimate choices for, for a player, you may not be able to play some characters in, you know, four wide prime, Optimus Prime four wide. <laughs> yeah, that may cult. not. And, and I don't mean with the existing cards, but I mean, it's, it's given who Prime is as an example, it's difficult for me to conceive of a Prime who we could print at such a low star cost that a really good four wide deck is. Right. Um, there are other characters who fall into that category. Uh, but you should be able to play as a player to make that choice. <clears throat> Um, and have options, multiple options within in that um, within those categories. Five wide decks are probably the most challenging for us to build imagine. and uh, play test really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and six wide decks get really, really wonky. Um, right. Yeah. And one of the reasons why you'll notice that there are very few four star characters in the game. Right. Uh, but yes, Vince. It, Exactly what you're saying was a discussion that that happened as part of the goal setting when we were built. You know, for each set we we do a requirements gathering meeting, series of meetings where it's like, mm. what are the goals of this set? What are the various stakeholders um, uh, coming into this? And one of them was make big characters viable. Awesome. Well, mission accomplished, at least in my opinion. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was a major goal. Yeah, it it seriously was. Uh, it, love it. I mean, not that Scott isn't a Transformers fan or that anybody else isn't, but it is really cool to have those marquee characters be able to do that. It, it's very much a, a different game from other ones that may not have an IP attached that, you know, you can get attached to characters in other ways. This, it, I would imagine most, if not all, people are coming in with an idea of who they want to see, and it's cool that you can have this option. I, I, I agreed. Um, and just to be clear, we're, the game is not going to swing in the direction of single or double character decks are the only viable right. decks. That's it's just a it, it's 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 a, a choice part of the balance that's important. Gotcha. 
Makes sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think it's there now. So yeah, that's that's that's. Fine. Um. So that I mean, I that it's funny that it segued into that discussion because that was something that, as Scott was explaining all the the highlights for him from Siege Two, that I was going to pull it back and and bring that up anyway. So it kind of segued naturally into the remaining points that I wanted to make sure I hit on for Siege Two. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up, Scott? On along I mean, that you know, end. The other big hit for me, I think, was the 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 viability of the patrol decks. So I, 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 I guess, I guess I wish that all four were were viable. But and I think clearly, I think clearly there's. I one wish Sea Watch was sure because he's a boat. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think clearly there's one that's more powerful than the others. But at the same time, I just think that the the mechanic of you know a universal buff that you're getting from yeah. a small leader card that can't be attacked very easily so it's almost like the equivalent of a permanent thing that's on your characters because it's so difficult to get rid of that character through combat um mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's very cool that that mechanic that was seemingly underpowered um from its you know its main incarnation of of you know tapping and pitching a card micromaster to suddenly it's a viable team on its own of you know i guess they're they're not popular characters i think is is very positive for the game to see that play out over two sets so i i, I agree good as well i agree and it was um i i, I had been gunslinging with a off-road patrol deck um and i uh, it, it had was a true pleasure um, i debuted it at the um the uk the UK uh, open. open armor. Yeah. I do remember and, that. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I was that was part of my the, the spoilers for the set. Yes, and it was incredibly fun to watch players' eyes uh, when they realized that the complete team was a viable deck. And I wasn't even playing a very good version of for a patrol deck because I it was pretty good, but it wasn't optimal. Um, I, I I think we're very happy with the the patrols. Um, I think that you can you you can expect to see something like that again in the future. Um, the cool. the sort of play pattern worked really well, uh, as Scott noted, uh, and uh, I, I think it was a pretty unqualified success, except for the fact that only one of the teams is truly competitive level good, even though some of the members of the team I think are individually. So, yeah. I also think a lot of players uh, play tested it less than they should have. <laughs> that could be the case. <laughs> but yeah, I really like the the patrol mm. um, design space. Yeah, I, I would definitely echo what Scott had said and what you were saying, Drew. It, to be honest, a lot of Siege Two hit a lot of highlights for me, and I I really do very much enjoy virtually every aspect of the set cool um what can we do better that is a i had a feeling you were going to ask that question (laughs) (laughs) uh scott i'm stumbling on myself at the moment you got one off the top of your head i mean if we're not going to touch daring escape um no no let's touch let's i mean we've had discussions about daring escape but i think Mm. daring escape uh uh Daring Escape was a, a miss, and even though it's it's important that Daring Escape style stuff lives in the game, we could have done better. 
Could I? Okay, I have not to jump on Scott's toes, but I did. So along that end, do you? And when I say you, not you personally, Drew, but you, Wizards team collectively, view overwhelming advantage in the same vein as daring escape, as in in a lot of the official lines, it's been described that daring escape was intended to be a, you know, another axis. The reason so, I say that is to me, uh, and sorry, <laughs> the reason I say that uh-huh. is to me that overwhelming advantage feels like it fits the game, but still allows you to do something combo e weird, whatever, whereas Daring Escape obviously is totally askew to the natural order of things, quote unquote. So they look like they're mirrored cards, but they're not really mirrored cards. Right. Um uh, Daring Escape is specifically designed to be an alt-win condition release valve. Mm-hmm. And the, the re- the, here's why we, we assert that something like this is necessary. Maybe you know, maybe not specifically Daring Escape as the card in and right, itself. Right. But, um, if there is ever a world where we miss and defensive decks become too powerful to the point where a do-nothing deck is able to sit there and mitigate all enough damage to drag out the game forever, mm-hmm. and then use a very slow win condition to win. Mm-hmm. If there's ever a world where we screw up and that happens, there and this is true for I, I assert this is true for all trading cards, sure. um, and probably most game systems. Yes, uh, there needs to be a release valve that to keep that them can honest, overcome that, but. Right, keep them honest by fighting on a completely different axis. And a lot of Transformers is damage in versus damage prevented, right? Like that's right. That's, like, that's mm-hmm. the sort of baseline axis of the game. So the, the idea of Daring Escape is for, for casual players, be a fun, achievable thing at some point. And then for competitive play, if it turns out that defensive decks are overwhelmingly powerful, just don't play their game and win through an alt-win condition. Because what we don't want to do mm-hmm. is have the escalation have to constantly be in just you know buff powering up the amount of damage that what you can do versus powering up right. the amount of damage you can mitigate. That's unhealthy in the long run. Absolutely. So, I, so you will see mm-hmm. continued design space uh, designs from us like this mm-hmm. at very small numbers and with uh, I would say a little bit more robust playtime. Makes sense. Uh, and the logic behind that argument... Uh-oh. <laughs> it's a contentious topic. I get it. <laughs> um, the I certainly do get the logic behind everything you just described. And that point has definitely been brought home, I guess, in the past as well, from either from you or from other members of the team, that... And it makes sense, like you said, across games, not just specifically for this game, that this sort of thing has a valid reason to exist. At least for me, and Scott, feel free to to jump in. I obviously can't speak for the entire community, but I think this particular instance is where, because of how it accomplishes that task, it isn't... A demonstrable loop where it's I do these two or three things I'm going to do the next number of times I've shown you I know how to do it we don't need to do the logistics of it yeah I think there's, that- there's a video online of somebody there's a there's a, a, a overwhelming advantage not an overwhelming daring escape deck doing its thing and 
the opponent goes and gets food from the takeout place down yes. next door. Like, right. It's it's not it's not not fun and not healthy and yeah um, I don't I don't have a, a, a something public for how we're going to address that mm. um, we're certainly not going to address it this in this month period but right right um, it is it is something that we are are looking looking to address before uh, before the next uh, summer season. Cool. Well, that, that's definitely comforting to hear. I'm sure there's there's a lot of people who may or may not be uh, fist pumping, or, and I know there's definitely people who enjoyed the deck and, again, the concept who may be a little disheartened, but I, I've i said this before, but you guys have earned my trust over the course, the lifespan of the game that I anticipate to whatever you decide to do or not do, I'm, I feel like I can support whatever it is. I appreciate that trust, and we will continue to attempt to re-earn it every time we put out a Awesome. Um, was there, Scott, was there anything else you wanted to bring up specifically about DE or any other items? No, I, the only, I, I've, I've, I'm obviously on record as saying a lot about it, but I think my only, my only last concern I just want to say is that uh, I, I just don't know that we still, to this point, have a mature enough player base to allow it to find solutions on its own, if that makes sense. So that's kind of where I've honed my opinion a little bit because I just haven't seen where those solutions will be found in the environment without right. I get that. Um, like, yep, I get that, and I think we'll we'll work to address that via how we disseminate information in the future. Makes sense. Um. Anything else, Scott, that, to Drew's original question about uh, swings and misses relating to Siege 2? I think the only other miss for me, honestly, is just Omega Supreme because of it being <laughs> three rare cards and not seeing... It's viable against other control decks, but the environment the environment has to be like 90% control, not like 50% control for <laughs> it to really have uh, a true impact. I think it's a cool mechanic that you like get the three star cards and that all that. I just just wish it was more viable i guess you could say that's that's it had an easier combined mechanic I, I don't know what would be the answer but I, so i i like omega supreme's design but he's not viable and that's mm, the yeah. problem and it, it took up yeah. three rare card slots and i think that's what you're alluding to like yeah, if it yeah. was if it was a really awesome and, and and useful uh character to to build a deck around and it was three rare slots that would be fine i think if one of the pieces individually and separate from him from um from the 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 full team had been viable in it in a non-flipping mode that would have yeah. also been okay but it hit too low um and um that lesson has been i, I hope that you will see that we have learned that lesson soon good cool yeah i oh, sorry let, let me put it differently i think we've learned that lesson and I okay. think we realized that that lesson early enough to affect something you'll see soon. Good, cool. Can I guess we'll let you know in a few months? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for my own part, I mean, I could similar to the Omega Supreme thing. There, there could be complaints about, I don't, or maybe not complaints, but uh, I can't think of a better word at the moment, so I won't drag that out. It, certain characters that seemed really exciting so one that comes to mind was spinister just because it was super exciting about the potential for it and then sabotage argument 
the sabotage armament showed up and it was a bit of a letdown, but then at the same time, I was super excited about sabotage armament. So it was very, very much a mixed bag for me personally. Um, but as Scott has mentioned offline a number of times, I have somewhat of an attachment to the plastics. So the characters will, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if some of them hit high or low, that influences it somewhat for me as well. Yep. Um, so the good thing about a character like Spinister mm -hmm. is, um, as more cards are released and the environment continues to mature, you'll be able to find new and interesting ways to use him both as a helicopter and somebody who cares about uh, the cards that he cares about. Absolutely. Uh, uh, both of which you're going to see some more of. Ooh. Right? There's, there's some more helicopters um, mm -hmm. and there will be, there will be other cards that Spinister plays nicely with. Uh, so that's good. Okay. Um, as as to sabotage armaments, mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's at the. I, I see what you're. I see why you're saying that. Mm. Um, it and don't get me wrong. It wasn't like oh my god, everything's ruined. Like I said before, overall, I was. I am very very happy with C two. It's just that particular instance always comes up in my head as I'm talking to people because of the aforementioned. Well, I'm I'm literally looking at Spinister on my desk, so. <laughs> Right, it's the, order, it's the order which we get spoiled cards. I think is part of the problem for him, anyway. Well, <laughs> for me, yeah, <laughs> that, that's interesting. Um, um, okay, so yeah, that was just like a minor, very minor quibble about things. It's not any anything major. So, uh, other than that, overall, like I said, I'm I'm very happy with Siege Two. So, cool. I, uh, I appreciate the feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as always, we'll take, take this feedback to the team and, and all the feedback from players as well as the, the data and it helps us make this things better. Cool. Uh, so moving on from there, unless there was anything else specifically for 2019 that you wanted to make sure we touched on Drew. Nope. Cool. Uh, so Scott had talked a little bit about the, the, the lull somewhat between now and when convention season starts, uh, just from a general 2020 perspective, again, we did touch on earlier that we're, we're mostly looking at roughly the same sort of structure and schedule going in from an organized play perspective. But is there anything new on that front or anything else that people should be keeping their eyes and ears out for coming up? Nothing to really talk about at this time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that there's a, that there's a ton of stuff for us to talk about uh, right now. Mm -hmm. um, we will be talking about very soon uh, Wave 5. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it's possible by the time that this is uh, goes up, we'll, we'll all be talking about Wave 5. Um, but <laughs> that, that is the next focus. Understood. Uh, then let me pitch it over to Scott. Scott, was there anything else that you wanted to, to touch upon, whether it was 2019 or to 2020? No, um, I, I guess, I guess I just assume you guys are looking at the numbers and seeing whether or not everything that happened was positive for the outcome of the game, and I hope it was. I don't know if you've had metrics that can tell that yet or anything like that, but uh, we have a robust BI division. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, B, BI is something that we tend not to. Setting. So yeah, that's fair. that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, 
do, for my do, own do know, edification. Yeah. Yes. Do, do know that we are a, a fairly metrics centered company. Um, I assumed as much. <laughs> you know, there, there are people there. There are there are people out in the world who are not. And if you have just generally, if you have the opportunity to use data to improve what you're doing, do so. It works really well. Um, and your results will be better. I think yep. you're preaching to the choir here, Drew. <laughs> uh, we can definitely um, get behind that idea. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I'd like to leave you with a couple of tidbits about what I would love to hear them. <laughs> okay. My favorite card name in the set is called Jurassic Punch. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I get to see why that's your favorite. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, and don't take the card name to uh, don't think that it implies wider themes than it does. It's kind of a one-off. Um, okay. But 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 yes, Jurassic Punch is my favorite card name. <laughs> that's so fantastic. That's, that's a cool, yeah. cool tidbit. Uh, what else? Um, I think I've mentioned before, but I'll, I'll state it again. Uh, this is a throwback set, mm-hmm. um, so it looks at an old an older theme from Transformers history. And puts that together into a, a set, kind of like the way Rise of the Combiners. That was a throwback set for us too, right? Because it's looking at gotcha. an older toy theme and bringing it into the TCG world. Uh, let's see, what else can I say? Um, uh, there's a new card type. Ooh. Uh, and let's see, one more, one more thing. Um, hmm. uh, a new sub faction of characters. Interesting. That I, uh, I was going to see if I could be greedy and ask you a question about the continuation of mercenaries, but given a new sub, that what you had just described, that may hit along the same vein. Uh, unfortunately, you cut out right when you were just asked. Oh, sorry. So I was was going to be greedy and ask about continuation of mercenaries in the next set, but is that free freebie? Uh, mercenaries uh, didn't really exist at the time that the theme that this set is based around, mm-hmm. not in the way that they do in, in Siege. So there mm-hmm. are no mercenary characters in this set. Okay. There are some cards that, pl- that are designed to play with mercenaries. Okay. Um, but this set doesn't have any mercenary characters. That so, so- will be for the next time we get to a war for Makes uh, sense. Cool. So it's support, but not characters. Yep, they're they're in a, they're an evergreen part of the game, but awesome. they won't appear in every set. Sounds good to me. Scott, did you want to try and sneak anything in? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, come on, man. Where's your curiosity? If we got our chance, and you're like, <laughs> oh, uh, Drew has already <laughs> promised to come back once we know more information. So that, I'm fine with holding off. Very true. Very true. sometimes is, restraint. <laughs> that is one of the most restrained approaches to this. That- possibility of a question that I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I get respected. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the straight man here. Can I yeah, yeah, I, 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 I gotta be the hype guy. Nope. <laughs> Alright, guys. I must return to the pit, which is the uh, <laughs> uh, the game designers and uh, product brand staff uh, work in this, this big cluster of desk, desk, desks called the pit. And I must return to the pits. <laughs> well, Drew, Great. again, thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. As always, uh, it was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you. 
Awesome. Well, everybody out there listening and watching, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And please tune in next time for more Tech Talk.